Good morning. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. Matthew 12, 1 through 14. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. He answered, Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that the priests on Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent? I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Going on from that place, he went into their synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there, looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus. They asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He said to them, If any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out, and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Gabrielle. Hey, you may be seated, everyone. Hey, welcome to Hope Midtown. Again, my name is Jim, one of the pastors here. And uh, over the past few weeks, we actually have been in a sermon series called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Can I hear you say Emotionally Healthy Spirituality? Thank you for all three of you that said that. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, now, emotional health and spirituality, basically what we've been talking about, the thesis is that emotional health and spiritual maturity are inseparable. In other words, it's impossible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. In other words, the invitation for God into our lives, and maybe you're not a Christian here. Welcome. So glad you made it. One of the things that we believe about what it means to follow Jesus is it's not like a halfway proposition. It's an all-in type of faith. So in other words, when I say, God, I want to follow you with all that I am and all that I have. That includes even my emotional world. Now, in a lot of ways, a lot of religious communities, especially when it comes to Western thought and Western approaches to faith and religion, there's a way that we can dichotomize a public life versus a private life. And really what we've been introducing and saying about this whole emotionally healthy spirituality theme is that what we're trying to do is we're trying to integrate so that each one of us there's a congruity as it relates to our public life as well as our private life. And this involves then allowing God even to those areas that perhaps we may not want him to be in. Uh, instead of just infiltrating our minds and this simply being an information exchange, what would it look like for us to allow God to into the deep recesses of our hearts and our souls, into our emotional lives, into our anxieties and fears, and what our anxieties and fears often lead us to do at times? that we often kept hidden from other people. Now, the image that we've been using is the image of an iceberg. Of course, the iceberg, 10% is above the surface, 90% is below the surface. And really the invitation for emotionally healthy spirituality is, will you and will I allow God into the deepest corners of our iceberg, into that 90%? 
into, we've talked about family of origin, into the places of our family of origin or the deep woundedness perhaps that we've experienced at times. Will we allow God into our grief and loss? Which is, again, not necessarily, especially in Western religious context, which tend to focus on happy, clappy kind of religion. What does it look like for us to be a people who actually learn how to lament and grieve? What does it look like for us? Last week we talked about this idea of journeying through the wall, that God gives us these dark nights of the soul, these painful seasons and moments that cause us to question things and to start doubting. How can that even be a transformational process that we say, God, yes, even into the painful, suffering, failures of my life, I wanna let you into that 90%. Uh, Now, that is a really difficult proposition, but that's one that we've invited our church community to. Because at the end of the day, right, as New Yorkers, we can sniff out any kind of pretense I mean, isn't that true? I, I mean, unless you came from like California or something and you're used to pre- no, I'm just kidding. Uh, sorry for any Californians, was born and raised there. So no, no, no judgment at all, right? But as New Yorkers, we can sniff out the pretense even in religious communities. And really what we want is we want what's real. And, and what the invitation for this whole series has been is an invitation into what's real. Now here's the thing though, to actually have the kind of life where we are exploring the different parts of the iceberg, what it takes is a certain kind of awareness as it relates to the iceberg, doesn't it? Because the reality is most of us are so used to, or at least I am, so used to just moving around in the world on autopilot. I just do what I think I should do. I'm not reflecting, not not taking the time to pause and reflect on my own kind of uh, iceberg and the grief and losses that we talked about or the, the, the family of origin issues. I mean, I would rather ignore all of that and simply go on autopilot and go about my days and soak myself and immerse myself into Netflix or Amazon Prime or Hulu or your streaming (laughs) subscription of choice. I mean, isn't it true that that's how most people, especially in the West, operate? Whatever we can do to numb whatever these feelings might be, these painful feelings might be. So in other words, there's a certain amount of reflection that needs to take place for us to go deeper in the iceberg. That's why the scriptures constantly talk about this kind of life of reflection. Check out these verses. Uh, In Psalm 139, it says, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. That was the passage that we reflected on when we talked about knowing yourself so that you may know God. Or in uh, Psalm 46.10, it says, be still and know that I am God. In other words, these invitations, right? And this is replete throughout scripture. There's an invitation that we as human beings, for us to navigate through life and the world, through the ups and the downs, the hills and the valleys, what it takes is a certain amount of self-reflection. I need to be still, be still, and know that I am God. To be still and know that he is God, to search me, to invite God to search me and know me. Now, this idea of self-reflection, it's not only something in the scriptures, though, that we find time and time again. We see this in modern culture and even in ancient culture. Check out these quotes. W.H. Davies, uh, the Welsh poet from the 19th century, look at what he says. What is this life if full of care? We have no time to stand and stare. W.H. Davies was known as someone who lived as a homeless person, but known as one of the greatest poets uh, from that region because of reflections like this. <laughs> you know, these people are so busy, they're going about, and this is in the 19th century, they're busy going about. But what is this life if full of care? There is no time to stand and stare. Or Socrates, the unexamined life is not worth living. 
Even in ancient times, there was this belief that we are to be a people who are self-reflective people. See, this is not simply a Christian idea. Why? Because most of modern society and ancient society, we get so wrapped up in going, going, going. And for some of you, Ice Cube, you better check yourself before you wreck yourself. That was for you, Norman. Uh, Right? Like, even the modern poets of our time, they would reflect on how this is what's needed in life. We need a certain amount of reflection over what comes to us. And this is why the invitation today, the topic that we're going to talk about, we talked about grief and loss, we've talked about journeying through the wall. Today we're talking about having a life of rhythm, a rhythm of reflection. And we're going to talk about it as it relates to uh, two things. Well, first, uh, the, the main thing that we're going to talk about today is this idea of Sabbath keeping, which was a gift that was given by God to his people, as well as practicing something called the daily office. Now, we're mostly going to talk about this theme, though, of what does it mean to have this kind of reflective life? Because that's the invitation. Now, what's so beautiful is Sabbath keeping in the ancient times, especially for the, the people of Israel, they were given this gift of a 24-hour period to stop, to rest, to delight, and to contemplate. Now, the people of God, the people of Israel, they were given these laws after 430 years of slavery. So you can imagine what's their mentality for most of their lives. Uh, for generations, they've lived with this belief that we are simply supposed to be producing work as slaves. Then God gives them the Ten Commandments. And the fourth commandment, it's actually a commandment. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Now, Sabbath, the word Shabbat, you may, in the city, if you work or live around the city, you may have heard the phrase Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat, of course, is this 24-hour period for the Jewish community where they stop, they rest, delight and contemplate. Now, the Christian tradition comes out of this very same tradition. The question for you and for me, whether it's in ancient times or in modern times, why is it that so many people, whether it's, it's even Christians and why is it most New Yorkers, even secular New Yorkers, we don't have the impulse to stop and to reflect. We don't have the impulse to stop, to stand and stare. We don't have the impulse to check ourselves or to examine ourselves. Why is it? Well, I mean, in many ways, it's because we're so busy. And in many ways, being busy, that's one of the virtues of our days. In fact, it's one of the virtues of being a New Yorker, isn't it? Right? Like, I mean, there's something so satisfying when people are like, oh, Drew, how you been? You know, and I can look back at the person and be like, busy. <laughs> right? Because there's this virtue in it. Now, here's the thing. Like, say if you're a single person here and, uh, and someone uh, asked you out and uh, they said, oh, when are you free? And, you know, you give back some dates and then you say, oh, but when are you free? And the person says, I'm free Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night. Honestly, I'm free whenever, right? Most of us, we would like listen to that and be like, is wrong with this guy or her, right? Like this was, this is what we would do because there's a certain virtue or value that we have with busyness. This striving to somehow be defined by how busy we are and what we do. Now, this is the difference between being a human being who's known for our being versus a human doing. I mean, isn't it true though? This is how we measure ourselves in social settings, in casual conversation, 
like usually like besides the pleasantries of, hey, the weather, it's snowing outside, when you start getting into conversation, what it's totally hurtling towards, and we've been kind of conditioned this way as New Yorkers, to finally get to that question, the question that we ask other people to really get at what defines this person, right? And the question is like, oh, so what, what, what do you do? What do you do? What do you do? Whether explicitly or implicitly, doesn't matter how young you are, how old you are. It's, oh, I'm in school. Well, what school? What major? What do you do? I mean, it's so predicated on what we produce. Now, coming from an immigrant Korean context, I can tell you for myself, like, what, what was imbued, deeply imbued in me was I was defined by what I did. And the measurements of my parents and their love for me, whether it was true or not, what I absorbed, what was in the air of the culture of the family that I grew up in, was that I was defined by what I did. And so as a result, it's in me. This propensity, this temptation, this desire to really do before I can simply be. You know what's crazy is that even as a minister, right? Like I, I'm the kind of person who like in vocational ministry, right? It's one of the commandments to keep the Sabbath and keep it holy, right? To stop from work and to enjoy life. And yet one of the things that keeps me from that is essentially I have this workaholism in me. It's deep in my bones. And because of that, I just can't stop working. And as a result, what ends up happening to me as it relates to my life, and it can affect our church community, can affect our staff, it can affect our volunteers, is basically my inability to simply stop. And then I can use kind of gauges of me measurement against other churches, against how I'm doing in the world to somehow become a successful pastor. There's all these insidious messages that I'm not doing enough, that I need to do more, and it's so in me. And yet, here's the thing, one of the gifts of Sabbath is like, Drew, you get to stop and trust that the world goes on, and you are not God, and it's okay. Now, every part of me wants to shudder at that and be like, it's not okay. And I could spiritualize it all we want. Well, people need to be reached for the gospel. I can say all these things. And yet, there it is. It's still there in the commandments. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Now, there's a way, though, that Sabbath keeping could actually become legal, uh, a legalism, a way in which, not legal, legalism, a legalism by which people think, oh, I need to do this, uh, and otherwise, if I don't, then God will be displeased with me. Now, this is what Jesus was actually um, coming up against. Here's, here's what happens in the story that we just read, right? Because Jesus is this person that's doing these extraordinary miracles and he's healing people. He's doing all these things that were forbidden by the Jewish community in the ancient world um, during that time. And yet Jesus was here bucking against the trends and basically um, talking and reimagining what Sabbath looks like. Now, here's the story. Here's how it goes. Uh, going on from that place, he went into their synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. So here's a man who's, who's 
needs to be healed, looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus. They asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Now, the reason why they're asking him this question is they're trying to, these religious leaders are basically trying to get at Jesus. And look what Jesus, he said to them, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? Hello, let's use common sense here. And look at what he says, much more valuable is a person than a sheep. Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Uh, and then can we go to the next slide? Um, then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. Now, when I, I remember reading this passage and being like, oh, what this means is basically, I, if I were to put myself in this story, when it comes to Sabbath keeping, Jesus is basically saying, that means I get to work more. I get to heal people. I get to do all sorts of things to uh, heal people on the Sabbath and to do good on the Sabbath. Well, what if? Then it just kind of dawned on me. What if the place that I'm supposed to put myself in this story is not necessarily as Jesus, but as the man with the shriveled hand? As a man who just needs healing. As a man who needs to become whole. See, because that's the invitation of Sabbath. Can you imagine for this man on the Sabbath with the shriveled hand, how amazing this must have been to have experienced the fullness and the wholeness of life on the Sabbath. Now, here's the thing. New Testament um, authors and scripture writers, they would actually teach upon this principle of the Sabbath. And they would teach about how marvelous and how the Sabbath was really just a sign for a greater reality. Uh, check out in the book of Hebrews what's written about what Sabbath is to be for people. Sabbath remains a, a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest. Now, in this context, what he's basically, what the author of Hebrews is saying is that, don't you see, like Sabbath was an invitation to a lifetime of rest. Yes, it was this 24-hour period, and yes, it happened every single week, but do you see what it was? It's, it's a foretaste of a kind of rest that every single one of us is to pursue. The rest of not being defined by what we do, but instead a rest being defined by a life with God. Where we, and one of my mentors puts it this way, the greatest outworking of how we can say whether we truly believe the gospel or not, whether we truly believe it, is how we practice Sabbath. Because, you see, here's what Sabbath is. I do my work, but then there's a moment where I stop and I rest, and even when I'm not accomplishing anything, God still loves me. It's the most practical outworking of whether or not we really believe the gospel. We can talk all day about God's love. It's not dependent on what you do, what your career is, what your LinkedIn profile looks like. And here's one way to live it out. Practice the Sabbath. Because what a Sabbath will actually do is it will invite you then to do nothing and to believe, to have faith that God still loves you. There's nothing you have to earn. Oh, but there's something in me that I'm like, I'm just wasting this day. Well, waste away because you're getting, you're getting a taste of the rest that God wants for you. 
In other words, Sabbath has always supposed to have been a foretaste of heaven. You see, you have this story in Matthew chapter 12 of the man with the shriveled hand who gets healed. Why, why does Jesus do these miracles? Because this man, it's not like, you know, he's, his hand is going to get healed, but one day he's still going to have physical infirmities. One day, one day he will die. Sorry to be some morbid outverse story of healing. But right, I mean, isn't that the case? Why would Jesus heal? The reason why he was healing was he was always giving a foretaste of, hey, this is what the kingdom of God is like, and this is what it will be like in that final day. And see, this is what the, the author of Hebrews is talking about, that Sabbath, every time we get to practice Sabbath, we actually get a taste of what heaven is like, where no more tears, no more shame, just a life full of joy, of buoyant joy and rest. Now, here are the four elements, then, of a biblical Sabbath. And uh, in, in, again, the course that we offer, our discipleship course, Emotional Healthy Spirituality, we talk at length about these four things. To stop, to stop from work. So for myself, what that means is I need to stop and disengage from anything that feels like work as it relates to Hope Midtown. So most of my day yesterday was spent Sabbathing with my in-laws and our extended family. I did not look at the sermon, so if there's uh, parts that are messed up in the sermon, blame God. He's the one that gave me a Sabbath. To stop, to simply stop and to be okay. Now, is there anxiety? Like, I'm not ready for this sermon. Is it, things are gonna go wrong. Yes, there's anxiety all the time, but guess what? I've learned that the universe still goes on. <laughs> I've also learned that I'm really not that important. I mean, these are weekly reminders that my wife needs me to hear, right? <laughs> my family needs me to hear, to believe in a God who's full of delight over his kids. And so I could stop. It's also a day of rest, a day to rest and recuperate from the work. Again, for these Israelites, they, they, were in, in, they were engrossed with this enslavement mentality for 430 years. That's why, uh, uh, that's why commandment is needed. It's like, hey, we need to command you because the insidious nature of being defined by what you do is so in you. We need to command you to rest command you to have a part. Now, there's a part of me that as a New Yorker, I'm like, oh, that is so legalistic. That sounds so crazy. Well, who's the crazy one? <laughs> the person who's saying, I'm free to be a workaholic. Or the person who says, no, 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 I'm free to actually take a, to take a day to stop and to rest. Now, this word delight is also, again, from this idea of being a foretaste of heaven or being a taste of heaven, that every week I get this opportunity to delight and to have joy. Now, um, again, in the course, uh, I'd highly recommend for you to take this discipleship course because we work on what are the elements of a biblical Sabbath and how can we work through encompassing a 24-hour period by which our family can embody these ideals. Uh, and lastly, it's to contemplate the difference between a Sabbath versus, uh, you know, just a regular silence, for instance, contemplate is that our Sabbath and our lives are unto the Lord. And so it's a day for us to actually contemplate further the goodness of God and to get this taste of heaven. Now, I mentioned uh, this whole idea, again, of human beings versus human doings. And I thought, you know, I've shown this video. I can't remember how many times I've shown this video at our church. But I will show it every year, just giving you a taste of <laughs> what this video is about. But it's basically a video where um, some Asian-American uh, like adult children were tasked with spending four minutes of silence with their parents. 
And one of the things that I love about this video, it's an invitation for something that most of us, we just don't do very often, uh, if at all. A chance to simply be present with one another. And I know that for myself, in a world and in a kind of a mindset that's constantly go, 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 um, this video, it always brings me to this place of like what really matters. And in many ways, what Sabbath is, is Sabbath is an invitation to come back to the place of things that really matter, but to be still, to stop long enough so that we can actually be present with what God wants to bring our way. So let's watch this video together. What is this life? If full of care, we don't take time to stand and stare. You know, uh, a Sabbath and the daily office is really an invitation for us to actually um, be still long enough to be present with God as well as the people around us. You know, and I think about my own kind of life and journey and uh, my own propensity to go, go, go. And, um, but it's like God wants to give us this gift to slow us down, you know? and to be able to be present with um, the people that really matter. By the way, I tried this with my 10-year-old one time and uh, I was just staring at him and he's like, what are you doing, Abba? <laughs> so maybe you should try to explain or maybe when they get a little older, you try this yourselves, but not when they're 10. Um, you know what's so amazing, right? So if we were to go back to the passage here, Right? For to go back to the passage, and it says that he's, he heals the man. Can we go to the next slide, or to the second to the last slide that we had up? Um, the second to the last slide, uh, right after the video. Um, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. Right? So he stretched it out, and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. Again, God, what he does is Jesus heals this man. He experiences the wonders of Sabbath, the wholeness and healing. But notice what happens right after this. The Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. You know, it's almost this clue, right? Here Jesus is. What he's doing is he's going around giving these tastes of heaven to people, right? Like, I want you to give you this preview of what heaven is going to be like. I want, to, I want to heal your hand, even on a day when the religious people might be trying to keep you from the wonders of God. I want to give you this gift on Sabbath. And Jesus does it at the expense of his own life. He does it to demonstrate because this is what we believe about this Jesus, this Christian God that we believe in. So we believe that God is the kind of God that would give his own life so that you might have it. God is a kind of God where Jesus would go to great lengths and give his life for you so that you can experience Sabbath, so that you can experience the healing and the wonders being still, standing and staring. 
This is what we believe about the God that we serve, that he is not a taskmaster God. He's trying to squeeze as much out of you as he can. And this is not to say that we're people that lack ambition or that we're supposed to be a people who don't work hard. No, not at all. What we believe about who God is is that he's a God who would lay down his life so that you might have it. Have the kind of life where at least once a week you might be reminded there's a God who is for you, that his love is not dependent on how much you produce, what your job is, what your title is, how well your kids are doing in school, but a God who's just pleased with you and delights in you. And he would do anything, even give his very life, so that you might know it. I'm gonna invite us to stand, and uh, I'd like the, the worship team to come forward. And, uh, you know, some of you are wondering, how do I start to act, you know, practically live this out in my life? That's what our discipleship course is for, uh, to really help us think through, how do we, how do we pause, how do we Sabbath, uh, the daily office is an invitation. A daily office is like having many Sabbaths throughout the day, day you know, moments of reflection throughout the day. And we as a church community, um, we want to embody and embrace this way of following Jesus. Where you know, he says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And our goal for every single one of us is not that we would shy away from hard things, Hopefully, we're leaning into hard things. However, that even when we go into the hard, difficult tasks of what it means to follow him, that we do so with an easy yoke, a burden that is light, because we serve a good God. Let me pray for us, and we'll sing this song together. Father, thank you for the gift of who you are. I pray that we might take time to stand and stare, believing in you, the Lord of the Sabbath, the one who gives us all good things. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's sing together.